Well, happy Father's Day to you dads. And I might add grandpas to that as well. Uh, you qualify, obviously. And I think it's very interesting how God designs things because in no way did anybody but the Holy Spirit know what was going to be shared in Sunday school this morning for the adult class and where, where I was headed for the Father's Day message. Now, I had thought, okay, I've given a lot of Father's Day messages, so I was looking back, what did I do in 2001? I pulled it out, what did I do in 2002? And I said, now, Lord, I've been very busy, we've been gone, uh, is there something here? And he brought me right back, I mean, I just couldn't get off of this which I want to share, which is so different and unusual for Father's Day. And uh, that's a passage that you know so well. In fact, it's uh, probably the most familiar portion of Scripture in all the Bible, uh, world known or over, and that is Psalm 23. You say, Father's Day in Psalm 23? <laughs> yeah, that was my question to God as well. <laughs> but yes, that is the case. And uh, then I thought, well, what title do I give this? I mean, Lord, this is a Father's Day emphasis here. What title do I give uh, this message on Psalm 23? And I finally settled on, a dad takes his children through Psalm 23. Now think about that with me. A dad takes his children through Psalm 23. I chose that title because this is what David actually was doing. You see, he was seated before the Lord meditating somewhere, probably out in the field, who knows, uh, and saw himself as one of God's sheep and the Lord being his shepherd. And so all of his meditating, he was writing these thoughts down as the Holy Spirit directed him. But the Holy Spirit had a bigger design than just David. It was for God's flock Israel, and really 3,000 or near 3,000 years later, it's for you and me as well. And so it will be a very valuable thing, I think, for us to look at Psalm 23 this Father's Day. You will notice that you don't have an outline. That's very irregular for me, because normally I have an outline, and I actually thought about it. And you can outline Psalm 23. Here's the problem. When you outline Psalm 23, in one sense, you really ruin it. Because it's far more relational than it is analytical. It's a journey. And God wants you to see it as a journey. And so I chose not to, not to say, well, you just were lazy. No, I just figured it's better that you and I have an outline and that we look at it from a relational instead of an analytical analysis. But before we get to Psalm 23, I thought it would be beneficial to know something about Psalms 22, 23, and 24. Because they're really a trilogy of uh, a set of three psalms that go together. Uh, for example, uh, they're called the shepherd's psalms. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. They're called the shepherd's psalms because they present a picture of our Lord and Savior, the chief shepherd. In Psalm 22, he's the good shepherd. And you might recall he said himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down or gives his life for the sheep. When you read Psalm 20 through 22, that's exactly what is described there, the crucifixion. In Psalm 23, he's called the Great Shepherd. And that title appears at the benediction in the book of Hebrews. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the Great Shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And when you come to the 24th Psalm, our Lord is presented there as the 
chief shepherd. Peter writes, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And Psalm 24 talks about the appearance of the king of glory, if you please. So those three psalms go together. Another way of putting it is this way. Psalm 22 presents the Savior's cross. Psalm 23 presents the shepherd's crook. And Psalm 24 presents the sovereign's crown. Beautiful. David the shepherd boy had taken care of sheep in his youth. You know that. He was a shepherd boy. God then had taken him from the fold and said, you will now be the shepherd of my sheep, Israel. And for 40 years, David was that. And David learned firsthand what sheep were like. Okay. He learned firsthand what they're like. And through his journey through life, he saw himself as one of God's sheep. Dr. Frank Morgan has called Psalm 23 by David the song of the old shepherd. The song of the old shepherd. J. Vernon McGee adds these words to that. He said, you see, David, when he came close to the end of his life, looked back upon his checkered career. It was then that he wrote this psalm. The old king on the throne remembered the shepherd boy. Life had beaten, battered, baffled, bludgeoned this man. He was a hardened soldier, a veteran who knew victory, privation, hardship. He knew song and shadow. He was tested and tried. Therefore, in Psalm 23, we do not have the theorizing of immaturity, but rather fruit and the mature judgment born of a long life. End of quote. Well, dad takes his children, maybe it's your child or your children, through Psalm 23. That's what I want you to think about this morning with me this Father's Day. You, Dad, maybe it's Grandpa, but you're taking your child, your children, your grandchildren through Psalm 23. Now listen, you say, you ladies, this is for dads. No, you realize it'll be for you as well. You'll be blessed, I think, by Psalm 23, as rightly so. We begin in verse 1. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How often that's been used? Memorial services, it's often used. It's on little folders uh, during memorial services and so forth. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Though this psalm is a personal psalm, David's personal reflections before the Lord, the Holy Spirit had David write it down and preserve it for the people of Israel as well as for you and me today. This is a profound testimony though. It's profound. David is here sitting before the Lord and he's saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. As a dad, I can say to my children with full conviction, I have three sons. Sons, the Lord is my shepherd. On my journey through life, I can say as well, I shall not want. We'll find out later what that means. Dads, let's talk to our children about being sheep. You ever think about that? That's a great place to start. I was thinking about even my adult sons to sit down and say, let's talk about being sheep. (laughs) What's it like to be a sheep after all? Well, they're really interesting animals, aren't they? They spoof very, very quickly. One book I was reading said you can have a whole herd of sheep. They're all bunched together eating. And a jackrabbit can pop up behind them and just, they're gone like that. Just scared to death. They're really interesting. They frighten easy. They stampede easily. They're easily misled. 
they're easily and always getting into trouble. Now, I've never raised sheep. Mary's from the farm area in Iowa, and so she knew people that did. In fact, her uncle raised sheep. And always getting into trouble. You sit down and talk to your children and grandchildren about being sheep, you'll land in Isaiah 53 at some time or other. You know it really well. God says, here's what you're like. Here's exactly what you're like. You can say it with me. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. Look at the world around you. It's it's living out before you, isn't it? Everybody just turned to their own way, doing their own thing. Just like sheep, scattered all over the place. Well, how did the Lord become your shepherd? You're going to talk to your children about being a sheep, them being sheep or lambs, if you please. How did the Lord become your shepherd? Do they know? It was interesting sitting down with Janie and Abby last night at our table, and Mary asked the question, well, well uh, Janie, when and how did Tim become saved? How did, when did the Lord become a shepherd? Good story. I'll reserve that for another time uh, at the memorial. Good story about how the Lord became Tim's shepherd here. And uh, what does it mean that you are the Lord's sheep and he is your shepherd? Talk about that with your children, your grandchildren. What does it mean? That the Lord became your shepherd and you became one of his sheep. By the way, that's going to cause you to land in John chapter 10. What did Jesus say over there? The good shepherd, he said he was a good shepherd. He said, my sheep hear my voice. What does that mean to your kids? What does it mean to your grandkids? What, what do you mean? You as one of God's sheep hear his voice. He goes on, and I know them. What does that mean? And they follow me. My sheep follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Here's an assignment. Here is a pastoral assignment to you. Pastoral. That even word fits in beautifully. When you leave here and you're driving somewhere, probably over in Sylvana, for example, you're going to see a herd of sheep. When you do stop, get out of your vehicle, go over there and call them and just see how many come to you. And how many run like crazy from you? That's sheep. And yet we hear the Lord's voice and we follow him. Dad, does your son or your sons, does your daughter, your daughters know God likes, likens them to being sheep and what that means? But David testifies that because the Lord is his shepherd, what? He does not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean? Earlier, David wrote these words in Psalm 16. You will make me know the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Beautiful. Remember, David is now reflecting back over his life. His life of what? Ups and downs. Of hardships and blessings. His life of failures and victories of relapses, falling into sin, and restorations. And his personal testimony as he reflects upon his life, all this going on that's gone on, and shares it with you and me is what? I shall not want, shall not want. What a Savior, what a shepherd that provides that way. And don't miss the significance of that statement. I shall not want. Took me a while to catch this myself. Its, its significance is to be found in the next five verses. You don't have to sit back and try to figure it out. David says, let me explain it to you. And in the next five verses, he explains what it means by, I shall not want, because of the shepherd's wonderful, wonderful provision for him. By the way, a very important aside here, 
and you know this and I know this, especially I know as a pastor, so many people come to Psalm 23. As I said, especially at memorial or funeral services, they come to Psalm 23. And the thing that breaks my heart is so many of those that I'm with in those situations have never first come to Psalm 22. They've never come to the Christ of the cross and realized the need to get saved. Realize the need that God is, the Lord is not their shepherd. They love the Psalm 23, but He's not their shepherd until they have knelt before the cross and said, I am a sinner and I am in need of the Savior to save me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Keep that in mind. You know, it's interesting, uh, the fact that there is a, in, in, uh, uh, they, they, they have a shepherd. These people have a shepherd, but He's a very, very bad shepherd. Boy. He does not care for his sheep. He keeps them in barren pastures and cares, listen, cares nothing for them. Nothing for them. He lets them hunger and thirst and offers them polluted and dirty water to drink. As you know, Mary and I were in uh, Bryce and Zion National Parks. And uh, because of the airfare ticket, the way we got it, we had two days to stay in Las Vegas. I figured I'd work on my retirement. So I said to Daniel, we are driving out of Bryce and headed toward Las Vegas and uh, Sin City. And uh, I said, Daniel, can you can you get us a place to stay there? Years ago, about 40-some years ago, when we went through there, they practically gave you the food away just to get you in the casinos. But that's not the case anymore. But anyway, I said, Daniel, here, get the cell phone, uh, find a place. Well, he was calling around, and he ended up getting, getting us into the uh, the Westgate. And uh, we don't know anything about the Westgate. We find out when we get there, though, that's probably the largest uh, hotel casino in Las Vegas. And so uh, uh, we, <laughs> good old Daniel. So we got our luggage, and, and we're going through these long, long corridors. And on the walls are pictures of Elvis Presley. He's the one that made that famous. That's the hotel that he always went to and uh, sang and so forth. I thought, how interesting, Elvis. You, you now, have your, your life is over. You know, your whole life, you, you, uh, years ago I, I had heard the story, I can't prove it, but uh, that uh, as a young person, a teenager, that he had asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart. I don't know whether it happened or not, I don't know. That's what I was told. But here he, now, here, here he is, all this, this mural of Elvis Presley that made this place famous. And I'm walking through there saying, and Elvis, now you're gone. Now you're gone. Boy, you talk about a shepherd that likes to uh, use you. And at the same time in that same hotel, they're going to be having a big uh, uh, one of their shows, and it was about Prince. Now, Prince also is another one of those world-famous stars, and he died of a drug overdose. And they're going to have, I don't know how they're going to do that, whether they had somebody impersonating him or what. And I thought, how interesting that these people, Satan says, I'm a shepherd. Yeah, you're part of my flock. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let you do this. I'll make you famous. I'll give you this and that. And so their life was on that journey. But boy, they come to that place of Psalm 23 and they cannot say what you and I say. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. What a blessing that is to you and me. David also had a hard life and even fell miserable as you and I know. But still he looked back over his life and could say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know what, guys? That needs to be communicated to our our children and our grandchildren. Why? Because that's the way life really is, right? You know that. You've been down that path. It's not easy. It's hard. And yet to be able to look back and say, but 
The Lord is my shepherd. And he goes on and talks what that means. Dad, can you say that? Have you shared that with your children? Do they look at you and see that to be true? This is more than just taking your kids or grandkids to church. This is a life that they're seeing in you, that the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. But verse 2 also says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. David is now going to begin sharing why he does not want. Philip Keller is a masterful little book written back in 1970. He writes these words, The strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from the frictions with others of their kind. If tormented by flies and parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, he writes, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel the need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. It is significant that to be at rest, there must be a definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, aggravations, and hunger. You know what? People are just like sheep, aren't they? (laughs) They're just like sheep. If they're restless discontented, agitated, disturbed, they never do well. And like sheep that have little or no means of self-defense, people are helpless and they tend to run at the slightest disturbance. Well, what is it then that quiets the sheep? He said, he leads me beside her. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, uh, two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pasture. What is it that causes them to lie down? Ah, what is it? The presence of the shepherd. Isn't that true? Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for a meek and lowly heart, and you will want find rest to your souls. Isn't that true, dear ones? You could stand up, each one of you, and give a testimony about how true that is in your journey through life. Has it been easy? No, it's not been easy. Have there been troubles? Absolutely there have been troubles. But what's happened? You have found that rest in the presence of the shepherd as you trust him and you find his presence there in your very midst. Well, Dad, will your children ever experience discontent, agitation? (laughs) Certainly. Certainly they will. What about all the other problems? Will they find themselves being greatly disturbed and feeling helpless? Sure they do. Why? Because that's the journey of life in a fallen world, in a fallen body. But like David, you've been there more than once, and you've learned how your shepherd has caused you to trust him and enabled you to lie down in those green pastures and rest. And that needs to be communicated to your children. They'll come to you, your grandchildren come to you, and they'll talk about things that they're going through. And you need to have a listening heart, but also be able to share, I have been there. I've been on that path. And let me tell you where I found rest in even that situation. They need to learn this great, I shall not want from you. Again, David wrote earlier in Psalm 4, verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Don't you love the Psalms? I read a Psalm nearly every day. Don't you love the Psalms? Half of them were written by David. Well, the second part of verse 2 says, He leads me beside quiet or still waters. Jesus spoke to the flocks of Israel when he was here. Blessed are they that do hunger and what? Thirst. Thirst for righteousness. 
for they shall be filled. Later he stood up in the midst of this large, huge crowd of people, and he cried out, If any is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow what? Rivers. Isn't that amazing? You have to stop and think about that. Not a stream, not a trickle, not a river, but rivers of living water. And oh, dear dad, dear grandpa, should we not testify to the truth of that? In a parched and dry and weary world we go through, that there are rivers of water. The joy of the Lord is your strength. My, he leads me beside the quiet waters. I think about the prophet Jeremiah. He talked about, and that is God rather through Jeremiah spoke about his sheep Israel. And here's what he said. He said, they, my people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know, we know the world's there. We know that that poor, wicked, evil shepherd, that's the kind of water, the polluted water that he offers to his sheep. But you know, a lot of Christians, they end up leaving the waters of the Lord Jesus Christ and drinking from those polluted waters as well. Today, the broken, ruined, sick lives are all around us. We see the shattered, the broken lives that are dried up and parched and full of despair. Multitudes have drunk at the broken cisterns of drugs, which is rampant today, alcohol, unbridled sexual pursuits, including pornography, seeking just to satisfy their thirst. Again, listen to Philip Keller. This is really interesting. Very graphic statement by him. He said, they were these sheep that are in the other pasture of the shepherd who doesn't care for them. He said, they remind me very much of a bunch of sheep I watched one day, which were being led down to a magnificent mountain stream. But on the way, several stubborn ewes and their lambs stopped, instead to drink from a small, dirty, muddy pool beside the trail. The water was filthy and polluted not only with the churned up mud from the passing sheep, but even with the manure and the urine of previous flocks that had passed that way. Still, these stubborn sheep were quite sure it was the best drink obtainable. The water itself was filthy and unfit for them. Much more, it was obviously contaminated with nematodes and liver fluke eggs that would eventually riddle them with internal parasites and disease of destructive impact. People, he says, often try this pursuit or that with a casual comment. So what? I can't see it's going to do any harm. Little do they appreciate that often there is a delayed reaction and that considerable time may elapse before the full impact of their misjudgment strikes home. Then suddenly they are in deep trouble and they wonder why. Boy, that's quite a quote, isn't it? Descriptive of sheep, yet he leads us beside the quiet waters. Do you think David had learned any lessons about such matters in his journey through life? Are there not valuable lessons, Dad, that you can teach your children about how your Lord and Savior, your shepherd has led you beside those quiet waters? What are the water sources our kids, our grandkids are drinking from even today? We need to know. But then also in verse 3, he says, He restores my soul. I love that. He restores my soul. Do you need your soul restored? I do, quite often. Do you? Sure you do. He, this good shepherd, restores my soul. Did not David who knew he belonged to the good shepherd know what it meant to be cast down and dejected? Many times throughout his life he felt defeated and discouraged. 
He struggled with King Saul for nearly 10 years. You might recall that. He struggled with his own personal lapses, serious lapses, I might add, into sin. David was acquainted with times of bitterness and feelings of hopelessness when he had no strength left within himself to cope. He had family members that attacked him. What a battle he had. Listen to his own testimony. You know it. You've read it before in the Psalms. Here's his own testimony. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Ever there? Ever feel like that? Sure you do. What a testimony. And then he goes on, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. A very familiar problem I wasn't familiar with, but you who know sheep are familiar with it. And some of you probably did work with sheep. And that is, they have a problem of being what they call a cast sheep. That's a sheep that gets out and ends up upside down. Maybe it's a little bit of a uh, contour in the land, and they lay down, and they get to rest snuggling there, and they turn over, and pretty soon, boing, all four feet go up in the air. And they struggle and struggle, and they can't get back over. And the thing is, the predators are going, yes, that's what I've been looking for. And the shepherd constantly has to be looking for those sheep that end up being cast sheep. And when he finds a cast sheep, he must help it get up, obviously. He helps it get up. He takes the time and he rubs its legs to get the blood flowing again. And eventually the sheep tries to take off on its own. It's kind of funny because all it does is take off and for a little bit and then it stumbles and it falls down again. And all the time the shepherd with his gentle voice is encouraging and reproving the sheep. Isn't that good? You rascal, you, you know better than this. You shouldn't have run away from the herd, you know. And he's massaging that sheep and encouraging that sheep and reproving that sheep. Does that sound familiar to you? (laughs) It should. What a difference between our shepherd and that wicked, evil shepherd that is the one over most of the sheep of this world. What a difference that is. My, did David ever become a cast sheep? Think about that. Did David ever become a cast sheep? Turned upside down and couldn't get back upright. Do you remember the time when God sent his prophet to David because he was upside down for a year? Out of fellowship with the Lord? Miserable? Psalm 32, he gives this description of what it was like, even in his own bones. I mean, he was miserable. A terrible king to be around during that time. Or a husband, or even a dad for that matter. And I can think of at least two sheep in the New Testament that became cast sheep. You know one very well. The great apostle Peter became a cast sheep. And what happened? The shepherd came to him. Isn't that beautiful? He came to him. He sought him out after his resurrection. And he turns him back and gets him up on his feet. Speaks to him. Reproves him. John chapter 21. Massages those legs again and gets Peter going again. Oh, how thankful I am. Have you ever been there? Sure you have. Tell your children about that. Why? Because they're going to be there. Maybe they're there even right now. Wonder what a miserable life. And by the way, it's interesting that so many young people are committing suicide. Cast sheep. Even Christians do that, by the way. How interesting. Another one was John Mark. Bombed out. Quit. (laughs) God sends Barnabas to get him back on his feet. And by the way, you read on. He sent Peter as well. And what did he do with John Mark? John Mark ended up writing the Gospel of Mark, didn't he? And you know, I kind of wonder, is this what James chapter 5 is all about? 
James chapter 5 talks about calling for the elders because why? Maybe you're a cast sheep and you can't get back on your feet and you're so down and so broken and so low and so discouraged and despondent and you need some help and you need somebody to come along with you and to to reprove, yes, that as well, and to encourage you and get you back up on your feet. I can't but think that's what it's talking about there. He restored. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because he restores my soul. I can't tell you how many times God's done that for me. I would have quit otherwise. I would have given up. He restored my soul. I often pray that at night. Lord, will you restore my soul? Precious, precious shepherd. And then verse 3, the second part, he guides me. Or leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And you know in the book of Psalms you begin with two pathways, don't you? Psalm 1 begins with two pathways and two conclusions as well. Later Jesus would set forth those two different paths and the outcome when he said, Enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. That's the field over there where the shepherd is no other than Satan. That perhaps Elvis fed from, and where Prince fed from, and Michael Jackson fed from, and millions upon millions of others are feeding from, hoping to get sustenance and satisfaction, and yet when they come, they'll end and say, I am in great want. Enter through that narrow gate, he says, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it do you get that only a few that's jesus words only a few find it it was possible david who wrote these words was familiar was familiar and maybe wrote psalm 119 these words your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path your word is a light to my path those sheep who belong to satan are left to walk over the same trails until they make them ruts and they're filled a little more than dirt and dust. They're left to chew the grass so far down that it destroys the roots, but the redeemed sheep who belong to the chief shepherd are led in the paths of righteousness. They're led to further food and provision. And notice we are led for His namesake. He's the one leading your life, not you. And it's for His namesake. Our shepherd laid down His own life for our sake. Will He not also freely give us all things if He gave us His very life? And we know the answer. Amen. Yes, He will. Dad, what paths are your children walking on? Do you know? What paths are your grandchildren right now walking on? You need to know. Why? Because you know the Good Shepherd. And you're the one that can influence them and pray for them. What path are they walking on? Are they following you? Are they following your shepherd? Verse 4 says, Even though, or yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You are with me. You notice here that David directly addresses the shepherd here. For you, he says, are with me. It's thought that in David's mind, this is a picture of the shepherd moving his flock to the higher land because of the change in the seasons. To get to the higher land, the shepherd must take the sheep by way of the valleys and the ridges that lead up to it. Now, we were at Bryce and we were also at Zion. And to get to those top places that you can see overall, you had to follow the valleys and the ridges. That's that's how you get there. The shepherd knows that predators like coyotes, bears, wolves, or cougars can take cover in these broken cliffs and from their vantage point prey on the flock. 
He also knows, too, these valleys can be subject to sudden storms and flash floods, as well as rocks and mudslides and snow avalanche. I mean, this is a dangerous trip here. There's nothing safe about it. It's very, it can be very, very dangerous. But in spite of all that, the hazards, he also knows that this is still the best way to take his flock to the high country through the valley. Guess what? Isn't that life? Isn't that life? Dangerous. There are troubles, complications, serious issues that we go through. Very dangerous. Are there not many valleys we must go through in order to reach that higher ground? Every mountain has its valley. David was no stranger as both a sheep and a shepherd to going through the valley of the shadow of death. That shadow of death, by the way, was often casting its shadow over his life. And dad, you've certainly been there. I've been there. You know about those shadows, those dangers. And what about those little lambs who are part of your flock? And how does one gain the upper hand knowing he or she will have to go? And they will. Every one of us will have to go through these different valleys. And those shadows will be there. The dangers are very, very real. I remember as a little boy, we lived just down the path of my grandparents. And my mom would send me off to get something from grandma's grandma. I hated that. I'd turn on the porch light and... Uh, you know, it would cast its light out there a little ways, but you get what, not very far out there, and that light is gone. And there were bushes, and there were buildings, and I, there was a murderer hiding behind every one of them. I guarantee you I was one of the fastest runners, Christina. I was fast, faster than you when I was making that up that trail. I don't know that my feet ever touched the ground. I, boom, you know, up there. Scared to death. You really, there's a lot of life in life like that, isn't there? These valley of the shadow of death he's talking about here. My, and yet the shepherd is always there. And even when the danger becomes real, and as was David's time and Tim's time to go home, the shepherd was always there. When it's time for me to go, the shepherd will always be there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promised. The Lord is my shepherd. Finish it. I shall not want. I shall not want. And that is why this journey of life is hard and it casts many a fearful shadow and frightens a sheep. But the shepherd is right there with that sheep. And then he goes on in verse 4, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. (laughs) I love that. The rod and the staff. I won't describe what the rod's like, but it's different than the staff. But the rod did stand for the symbol of the shepherd's strength, his power, his authority. You might remember Moses uh, was a shepherd for 40 years in the land of Midian when God called him to go deliver his flock, the people of Israel who were slaves in Egypt. And Moses was to go with what? A shepherd's rod. A shepherd's rod. And it became a symbol of authority. He used that rod to do his miracles uh, as a testimony against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But it also became such a reassurance to God's people, Israel, there in bondage in Egypt. The rod of Moses spoke of God's authoritative words, Thus saith the Lord. And how important, how vital, how precious God's word is to you and me. What a comfort, dear ones. What a, uh, Wendy, what a comfort this is to you, to Janie, and to you and me of these valleys of the shadows of death that we have cast over our lives. What a comfort His Word is. Many times God has driven you and me into the Psalms, for example, because of things you're going through, just crying out like a sheep, bleeding out to God to come to your aid. How precious. But there's a second use for the shepherd's that he had for with his rod for the welfare of the sheep, and that was for discipline. 
Ever so often, he had to use that rod to tap it a little bit on the head or on the side to get it to come back where it belongs. You wouldn't be familiar with that, would you, at all? Hebrews 12 means nothing to you at all. <laughs> yes, it does. He disciplines those whom he loves, bringing encouragement to it. But there's a third use of the shepherd's rod. It was used to examine and count the sheep. Ezekiel 20, verse 37 says, I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. A sheep that passed under the rod was one which had been counted and looked over with great care to make sure that all was well with it. What about the shepherd's staff? That staff is a tool, by the way, that's only used by shepherd. It's not good for sheep, I mean for uh, cattle, uh, for horses or hogs, anything else, just for sheep. And uh, we find out the shepherd would use the staff gently to care and manage the sheep. For example, I understand that when they would lamb, and uh, the lamb would get separated from the, uh, the the ewe. Well, then the shepherd would go down with the staff and he had a little crook in it. And he'd pick up the lamb and move it over toward the, uh, the ewe, the mother, because he didn't want the scent of his hands on that sheep, lest the ewe would reject it. Very tender. And then there was another problem with sheep. They were always getting in trouble. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And they would take off and uh, they would be, for example, getting into poison stuff. And he would have to get over there with his his staff and pull them away from that. And there were times that they, you know, how they, it isn't good enough that the grass is on top there. No, down the embankment there's more. And down they would go and they couldn't get back up. And so he would reach down there with his staff and he would pull them back up to safety. Huh. God ever do that to you? Do your kids know about your journey through life? And how the shepherd has ministered to you in these different ways with his rod. And And notice what he says, they comfort me. They comfort me. He who is without the discipline of the Lord doesn't belong to him, he said. Sobering thought, isn't it? And by the way, who did Jesus say would comfort you? God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be your comforter. Coming alongside and comforting you. Using his written word to comfort you. What a blessing. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now that's an interesting verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You will remember in verse 4 what was happening. The shepherd was taking the sheep through the valley, right? He was going through the valley and it's called the shadow of death. We think of physical death, but it was more than that. It was all the troubles and dangers to get them where? To the higher elevated land. Because during the summer down below, it's arid and the grass disappears. And so he's taken them to get them to the higher. And we believe that maybe that table is not the kitchen table he's talking about, but really he's talking about a table land up there on the higher plains. And that's where he's leading them. And the shepherd has to prepare that table land for his sheep because sheep have to try everything. They get up there and have to try everything. So if there's poisonous uh, plants, he's got to take care of that or keep them from that. If the water uh, source has gotten all polluted or blocked up, he's got to take care of that as well. And then in the high country, this is where the predators really lurk. But it says, you prepare a table before me, before me. Did you know, and I know you do, the Lord came before you. He was tempted in every point like you except without sin. He knows our enemy. He knows this predator. And he has gone before to protect us from them. The shepherd has to prepare the table land. 
Why? Because he knows the enemy's there with every wile, every trick, every treachery of these predators. He knows every treachery of our enemy Satan and his emissaries. Why? Because he has been there in that highland before. He himself has gone on ahead of us and been tempted to the uttermost yet without sin. But here, listen, here is the important lesson for us to learn and to teach our children. Here it is. Just because the shepherd has gone on ahead and made every preparation and provision for the safety and welfare of his sheep in the highland does not mean they will not have problems there. There are dangers. Predators can still attack. Poisonous weeds can still grow. Storms and gales can still come over those peaks. And a dozen other high hazards can haunt the sheep in the high country. But our shepherd has been there before, ahead of us, coping with every situation and every enemy that we may ever face. And now we are not there alone. He is there with us. You know, that's the journey of life. Journey of life. We would like to have seen Tim, Dave, have a little bit more time. God said no. He said, I know what's going to happen, but I'm here with you. I've been here before. And I made some promises to you. And by the way, it's not just physical death. It's the other troubles and trials and predators that move in upon us that you and I understand because of life's experiences. And he says, but I have been there before. Your shepherd. And what's important here? Stay close to the shepherd. Stay close to the shepherd. Boy, We should understand that better than anybody else when we see our young people drifting and drifting and drifting and see the terrible danger. I said, I walked through there. I hope that Elvis had put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by thinking, my, how that man drifted. How he was a world icon, famous and all that. But how he ended his life so empty, so empty. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You have anointed my head with oil. (laughs) You have anointed, thou anointest my head with oil. Again, I have to refer to Philip Keller, who raised sheep. He writes, to name just a few parasites that trouble stock and make their lives a misery. There are warble flies, bot flies, heel flies, nose flies, black flies, mosquito ties, uh, mosquitoes, I'm sorry, gnats and other minute wing parasites that pro- proliferate, uh, that, that, uh, proliferate, I'm sorry, at this time of year. Their attacks on animals can readily turn the golden summer months into a time of torture for sheep and drive them almost to distraction. At the very first sign of flies among the flock, the shepherd will apply an antidote uh, antidote to their heads, such as a homemade remedy of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar, which was smeared over the sheep's nose and head as a protection against nose flies. This immediately brought an incredible transformation among the sheep. But this remedy had to be continuously applied and reapplied to do any good. End of quote. How does God anoint his sheep when all these pests come around? Was it not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? And what does he say? Be filled with him over and over. Be continually be filled and filled again with God the Holy Spirit. You say, how does that apply? Well, okay, let's talk about some parasites that trouble you and me. Okay, what about losing our joy? You ever lose your joy? Wonder what causes you to lose your joy? What causes you to lose your peace? What causes me to lose my love? How do we lose our patience and forbearance? That's just to name a few. And how do we experience then once again the fruit of the Spirit? The shepherd comes with his anointing oil and says, repent, be restored, be filled with my Spirit, and go on in the joy and the victory of the Lord. 
And then verse 5, my cup overflows. My cup overflows, runneth over. Was David thinking of a cup the shepherd sometimes might have used to provide an individual sheep a drink of cold water? Or was he thinking of his cup, his life that was overflowing with the rich blessings of God? This morning in Sunday school we saw it was like a trough that was just full of water. There was plenty of water. Maybe that's what he had in mind. Certainly David's thought is that of the Apostle Paul's. Though all the ups and through all the ups and downs of one's life, through all the deep valleys even of suffering, the rich fellowship with the shepherd fills the heart full of joy. And that joy the world and all the troubles that come in from the world can never touch or steal away. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As our chief shepherd declared, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Isn't that the same as come and drink of me and out of your innermost being will flow what? Rivers of living water. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And finally, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You might remember now, if David wrote this as an old man, he's looking back and he's seen the ups and downs. He's seen the shadows. He's seen the setbacks. He's seen the falling into sin and the restorations. He has watched his shepherd come along every, every part of the journey and restore him, has he not? Surely, he says, that God's goodness and His mercy, His loving kindness, they followed me. You know what, Dad? Isn't that important? Isn't that important that we help our kids see that? Son, daughter, I know what you're going through. I've been there. And there's more to come. I have fallen down in the crevasse, bleeded out my heart, and the Holy Spirit came and raised me up. The shepherd came and raised me up. And I have seen His goodness follow me. Yes, I have failed, but He's restored me, and he, he, the Holy, he, His goodness has followed me. His mercy has followed me all the days of my life. What a testimony. What a testimony to tell our children and our grandchildren that. Again, Philip Keller gives this stark contrast. He says, I think back to the heartless shepherd who does not care for his sheep. They stand out in the winter huddled at the fence, their tails to the storms, facing the rich fields in which my flocks flourished. Those poor, abused, neglected creatures under the ownership of the heartless rancher had known nothing but suffering most of the year. With them, there had been gnawing hunger all summer, Tormented by flies and attacked by predators, some were so weak and thin and wretched that their thin legs could scarcely bear their scanty frames. What a picture of Satan who holds ownership over so many. What a contrast between that and how David concludes this psalm. Now David the sheep looks back over the whole of his life and his journey with the shepherd. Even with his terrible failures, lapses into sin, he sees God, the good shepherd's goodness and mercy have kept on following him all the days of his life. It reminds me of lamentations, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Lamentations three twenty two through twenty five, like David Scott, Tim Borisaw, and like David, one day soon we will finally be home, finally home with the Lord, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I want to tell you something. That's an incredible house. 
Not just the glories of heaven, but the glories of the millennial reign and then the new heavens and the new earth. That's an incredible house. What makes this 23rd Psalm so special? David the sheep in every aspect of his life's journey finds himself in the presence of his wonderful Savior, Shepherd, who has never forsaken him and has always wonderfully provided for him no matter where he was or what he was going through, including those times he foolishly and deliberately like sheep wandered away from the protection of the shepherd. His Lord and Savior was still always there. Dad, have you thought of that being your testimony to your children, your ministry to your children? Is this not for us who are grandpas as well? Surely our journey through this life with all its perils and with all its failures and lapses into sin and how our wonderful Savior and Shepherd has guided and restored and mercifully uh, provided for us in every way needs to be communicated to our children and our grandchildren. Here's an illustration. Sometime just sit around the table and say, I want to talk about you and me being like sheep. I want to talk Psalm 23 and about this shepherd. Son, he's my shepherd. Daughter, he's my shepherd. Let me tell you about my journey. And he wants to be your shepherd on your journey as well. Beautiful psalm, but a beautiful journey through life as one of his sheep. And he being your shepherd. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious psalm. Thank you for David, who was a shepherd, who became the shepherd of your people, but also who was a sheep. He learned something about shepherding, but he also learned something about being a sheep. And Heavenly Father, I do thank you. When I think about David, David Scott, that is, Tim Borisaw, precious men, brothers, they went through that valley of the shadow of death. And for them, that was a shadow that, it's all it could be, though. It's all it could be, a shadow. Because death became their servant to usher them into the house of the Lord where they will be with you forever, free and complete and perfect. And you have glorious, glorious plans for your sheep. But Father, we're left here to go on this journey. And I think about going through that Westgate Hotel and seeing the picture of the king, Elvis and his life, realizing that he's no longer here. I don't know whether he's with you or in Hades. I don't know. But I think about him living in that field of the shepherd that's so evil and so cruel. And uh, Philip Keller has graphically described what he's like. I think, but Lord, there for the grace go I. Thank you. Thank you that the Lord, you are my shepherd. And I can say over these many, many years of ups and downs and failures and discouragements and victories, I shall not want. I shall not want. And I can take her all the way to the end of my life and say, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great shepherd. I praise you. Bless these dads. Bless these grandpas. May their life be on display to their children and grandchildren. Mine as well, that you are our shepherd and we shall not lack for anything. In Jesus' your name we pray. Amen.